Hello and welcome to Switch Your Money On from Hargreaves Lansdowne. I'm Susanna Streeter. I'm the Senior Investment and Markets Analyst here at Hargreaves Lansdowne. And as usual, I'm with Sarah Coles, our Senior Personal Finance Analyst. So Sarah, the holiday season is well and truly upon us. I mean, I seem to have spent hours packing and repacking the car in the last couple of weeks to get in sleeping bags, surfboards, paddleboards, a dozen cuddly toys. Oh, blimey. It sounds a little bit like a cross between the generation game and a game of Tetris. Actually, it all sounds really stressful, even before you start getting into holiday traffic. But it could have been worse. You could have been flying. Yeah, it's a good job. We are such experts at queuing, isn't it, Sarah? People's patience was certainly put to the test with all of those mass cancellations and absolute chaos at airports over half term. Yes, it wasn't really the return to business as usual that either airlines or the passengers were hoping for. Just what will all of this mean for the airline industry? Will the vastly increased demand mean airlines are back in business or will the image of them creaking at the seams keep down their recovery? And that's what we're focusing on today in an episode we're calling No Plane, No Gain. Yes, we'll be finding out what it's been like operating through the pandemic and over a rather rough couple of weeks and take a look at the prospects for the sector over the medium term with Oliver Smith, Head of Sales at Saxon Air Charter. Oliver, pleased to say you've flown in to be with us today. It's been a week of ups and downs to say the least, hasn't it, for the industry? It has indeed. You know, it's been very up and down. We've had lots of people wanting flights, not enough aircraft to do the flights, things like crew restrictions and not enough crew to man the planes when we've actually got the planes. So, yeah, I think very similar to the general aviation. It's been very tricky, but it's been a good good time for the industry on the business side. But, you know, very tricky to get things across the board. So a real headache. That's right. Well, we're looking forward to finding out a lot more detail later on. We'll also be chatting with Sophie Lund-Yates, HL's lead equity analyst, and she'll be talking about how companies are coping as the industry recovers, including TUI, which had some really difficult headlines over half term. Sophie, I hope there'll be some good news in there. I'll also be looking at British Airways owner IAG and EasyJets. And I'm afraid to say I can't promise you an awful lot of very good news. It's been a really challenging time for airlines and tour operators. Well, we'll find out more a little bit later. Thanks very much, Sophie. Also, we're going to catch up with Emma Wall, our Head of Investment Analysis and Research, who's been speaking to Peter Meany, Head of Global Listed Infrastructure at First Centia Investors. And it's what you've been waiting for. We will have the quiz. And we're talking about all things flight related, which is my specialist subject after all. Yes, of course. I should probably be calling you squadron leader, shouldn't I? Or, or mom or something like that. Well, squadron leader retired. My RAF reserve days are behind me, but I do still have a pretty keen interest in what's going on in the skies above. And it has been an incredibly difficult few years for the industry. The pandemic caused huge problems across the airline industry, not just companies themselves, the airlines, but airports, catering, ground service and manufacturers too. The exceptions were freight forwarder and cargo airlines, which has really gained from the rise in air cargo. Now, 2020 saw, of course, enormous restrictions introduced. When aside from a brief window in the summer, international travel was pretty much thwarted on all sides, making it the worst ever year for passenger demand. Total revenue losses for the industry during the year have been estimated at an eye-watering £20 billion. Pounds. So cancellations right at the start of the pandemic brought a huge financial headache for airlines who are faced with having to issue enormous numbers of refunds at a time when they were still having to cover the cost of staff and aircraft. Now, 
Many of them pushed for customers to rebook and accept vouchers instead of getting their money back, which meant more customer dissatisfaction, which didn't help build our confidence that it was safe to book. Yes, and even in 2021, air travel was 71% lower than before the pandemic. Part of the problem was the traffic light system that the government introduced to try and determine extra COVID controls on some flights to different destinations. It ended up changing, believe it or not, 15 times and sometimes with very little warning, which was incredibly difficult, not just for passengers to adapt to, but for airlines to cope with as well. So the Transport Committee of MPs concluded that these changes were arbitrary, opaque and incredibly damaging for the industry. So airlines, as a result, they've responded by cutting back on routes and staff. So Airlines UK estimated in September last year that over 30,000 aircrew had lost their jobs, which included 10,000 at British Airways alone. Yes, of course, things have picked up this year. And as far as commercial aviation is concerned, the industry appeared to be flying back into calmer skies. The number of UK daily flights rose again in mid-May and it's now up by just over 350% compared to the same period last year. People are really keen, aren't they, to jet off to sunnier climes once again, having been pretty much starved of foreign holidays during the pandemic. However, the turbulence is far from over, it seems, with the number of daily flights still 15% lower than pre-pandemic levels. And the process has not been smooth. We've had the sorry scenes of chaos at airports up and down the country, not just at Easter, but now at half term too. And it wasn't just getting out of the country that was an issue, but returning as well with pupils and teachers among those held up as airlines cancelled and delayed flights because of a labour shortage, particularly among ground crew. Yes, airlines are desperately trying to play catch up and they're trying to recruit more staff as quickly as possible. So British Airways is said to be offering signing on bonuses for their ground crew. And ground handlers at Gatwick Airport are reportedly getting pay rises of 10%. But recruitment and training just can't happen overnight. You can't just turn a tap back on and fill planes and airports with staff. So unfortunately, there's every chance that things won't be anywhere back to normal by the time the summer holiday rush comes along. There's a bit of a blame game going on with the government saying airlines shouldn't have taken the bookings if they didn't have the staff. Meanwhile, in late April this year, the Transport Committee criticised the government's attempts to blame the industry for chaos over the Easter holidays and said that the aviation sector was reeling from restrictions and a lack of certainty offered by ministers during the crisis. There's also the spectre of Brexit overhanging this issue, it seems, with American Express global business travel among the industry players pointing out that airlines relied on EU citizens for up to 30% of their workforce pre-Brexit, so that labour pool no longer being available adds to the challenges. Now, the Transport Committee called on the government to review the process relating to recruitment and training to give airlines more flexibility over hiring for the summer. And of course, for all those who are caught up in all of this, the price of flights is rising as well. So the cost of flights has risen over 12% in the last 12 months, partly because so many more travellers are now competing for fewer flights. For now, people are prioritising their holidays after so long when they just couldn't go anywhere. But we'll have to see how well demand holds up into next year. Anyone who spent their lockdown savings on a 2022 holiday may well be wrestling with a rising cost of bills and they may not be able to find the same kind of cash for a break this time next year. Now, there might be people who borrow to travel at that stage because they just can't face another year at home. But there will be those who've already borrowed to the hilt to cover the cost of living or they're too worried about the prospects for the future to take the risk of borrowing. So it is going to be interesting to see what happens to travel patterns as we go through the next 12 months. It certainly is. Well... 
While the industry seems to be picking up a bit of a following wind this year, there are still an awful lot of challenges to face when getting back into the skies. So let's get an idea of just what it's like to operate right now. I'd like to bring in Oliver Smith from Saxon Air Charter. So Oliver, tell me a bit about your business, who you ferry to and from, what are your favourite destinations and what's booked up to the hilt right now? It's very tricky. You know, we have lots of people wanting to fly, lots of people who've come out of lockdown who previously, you know, hadn't flown privately and have now either saved up some money over lockdown through not travelling or just said, do you know what, I don't want to be travelling through a busy airport with thousands of other people and sitting on a plane with 300 other people. So now they're looking at private flying as well. You know, you walk through a, a tiny terminal and go straight out to the aircraft. Key destinations, I would say, out to Portugal is very popular. After the pandemic, it was very tricky because regulations were changing all the time on which countries we could go to, what you needed to do to get into certain countries. So people had to be alert, whereas now the borders are a bit more open and the normal holiday destinations out to the, the Balearics, to Portugal, uh, to the south of France. These are the key destinations we're currently flying to a lot. You had to change your business, didn't you, in order to sort of cope with some of these challenges around the pandemic. Can you tell me a bit about that? Our main focus is passenger uh, charters, whereas through the pandemic we had to look at doing cargo, so flying in supplies, which normally we wouldn't have on the aircraft, both helicopters and the jets. You know, generally owners don't want to have boxes of things on their nice new seats. However, these aircrafts were sitting on the ground not making any money and, and costing them money, so we had to look at ways in which we could we could still try and bring in some money during lockdown and, and keep the doors open and, and keep people in jobs, and that was that was a way forward for us. And in terms of the ownership of the planes, did you have to make changes there too? So yeah, we, we actually used to own two jets ourselves as a company. We then sold them during lockdown, which put us in a very good position coming out of lockdown. Uh, you know, they, these aircraft, as I said, were, were sitting on the ground and, and costing us money. So we made the decision to, to, to sell them at, at a good time in the market for, for actually selling of, of aircraft because now you have a lot more people looking at, at getting into private aviation, both on the charter side, but also in the ownership side. And you said that you shared some of the problems that other airlines, the big airlines, have been experiencing. Can you tell me a little bit about that? For example, uh, the labour crunch that the industry is facing right now. How are you navigating that? It is tricky. You know, we're a small family-owned business. It's a bit of like the chicken and the egg situation. Do you employ the people for the for the future demand or do you, do you hold back and keep what we've got and, and manage it as best as we can at the moment, you know? I think we've all seen what was going on in the world and recession gets mentioned quite often and it, it's the fear, OK, do we employ all these people and suddenly everyone stops flying again? So it's, it's a risk we have to look at and we have to really manage our workflow and our, our, our teams accordingly to represent what we think is going to happen in the world. But currently, people are, are flying a lot. We've had, just had a record month on the sales side for the charter. People are getting away and business is flying again. So do you think you're seeing people ring fence their budgets for experiences, say going on holiday, making those special occasions again, much more say than spending on other items? I think so. I think because we weren't allowed to and it wasn't possible that people are now saying, okay, I've got a bit of extra cash to spend. You know, I know what it's like to be in lockdown. It wasn't nice. Let's really treat ourselves. And we do have people, new customers who say, okay, do you know what, looking forward, I've got a budget of this much, what can I do? Okay, that works out at four trips to and from my favourite destination, so I will do that privately now rather than commercial. And it's just, yeah, as you say, people ring-fencing the budget and saying let's, let's make the most of life because lockdown life wasn't much fun for anyone. Are you affected by the chaos we've seen at airports? 
Yes. So, you know, without getting too technical, we have a lot of issues with slots and handling. You know, the, the benefits of flying privately generally is that you can choose exactly when you take off and land. So you say, I want to leave London at 10 o'clock to arrive in the south of France. And suddenly we're looking to land in the south of France and they're saying, sorry, you can't land here for another six hours. There's not the slot time. So then we have to revert back to the customer who, of course, has paid a lot more money than he would commercially and say, I'm really sorry, you can't have that time you want. And it does cause issues some clients are really understanding about it because they've either flown previously and had these issues before but lots of the new clients aren't really familiar with it and they kind of they would expect that paying that much money they should get the slot they would like. We're recording this in in the week of Ascot presumably you're seeing quite a lot of demand how does it reflect a sort of pre-pandemic levels? So generally the big events are normally very busy for the helicopter side of things especially the races people want to fly in and this can be groups of friends families going for a day out to the races or it could be people just popping in to see their horse race uh, our helicopters are all booked out they started about four seater and go up to seven seaters and so these are these are fully booked over the ascot period and they get booked up way in advance you know on the horizon we've got glastonbury and we're pretty booked up for glastonbury already and do you see a different type of, of customer or do you see the same sorts of people who've always booked helicopters of these sorts of events i'd say it's always quite varied because you do get the 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 people who go excuse the word but go out for a bit of a jolly you know they want to they fly out in the morning uh have a great day out come back a bit a bit more inebriated than when they left and that you know that's a, a good day out but you do have the the professionals you know the race racehorse owners who are flying out just for the reason of seeing their horses uh and it's a very transactional process they're in they see the race and then they want to get out i mean do you have an idea of of how this current stage is going to play out do you think that we will get sort of everything sort of returning to normal over the next few months or do you think some things have changed forever i think lots more people have come into private aviation who previously wouldn't have because of covid uh, and i think they will remain because if you can afford it once you've had a taste for it it's very hard to then go back having to turn up for your flight 20 minutes before your flight being escorted through a private lounge sometimes you can even drive up to the aircraft in your car you know get out your car straight into the plane or even you know what Saxon Air can offer we can pick you up in your back garden in a helicopter fly you to the airport you get out the helicopter you go straight into the jet and you fly off into your end destination and the other end we can do similar so then having to go back to queuing at Heathrow for three hours and getting delayed and then passport control taking ages because they haven't got the right number of people on. It's a very hard step to take back. Generally, once people get involved, they generally stay in private aviation if they, if they can still afford to, if it's not just a flight they've done as a special occasion or a treat. And just before you go, what's the most unusual cargo you've had to carry over the past two and a half years? Knicker elastic, which was a bit of a random one, but when you think about it, it came in for masks. It's normally, can you take my golf clubs up because I want to play golf this weekend and I left them at home, whereas now it's actually bringing in things that are essential. Very elastic demand, I imagine, for that product in particular. Really great to have you on the show, and, and it's certainly a really interesting and pretty tough time for the whole sector. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, let's bring in Sophie Lund-Yates now, our lead equity analyst here at Hargreaves Lansdowne. And Sophie, you've been looking at some of the listed companies operating in the sector. Let's start with TUI. 
Yes, so starting off with a big one, um, TUI has been caught up in the cancellation chaos that, that we've been talking about. And this is exactly the kind of bad press TUI doesn't need. Um, for all the airlines, right now is the time it's meant to be about rebuilding resilience after the pandemic, not fighting further fires. Um, and like most of its peers, TUI really struggled during the pandemic. But I would say that zooming out from the current chaos, things are looking much brighter um, second quarter revenue has mushroomed from 0.2 billion euros last year to 2.1 billion euros this year. So and that is as demand is ramping back up again, as we've been talking about. Um, also, the group um, operated 71% of pre-pandemic capacity in the same period. So things are definitely on the up. Um, as always, though, there are a couple of things to keep in mind. TUI doesn't just run flights. It has a much wider holiday package business, as a lot of our listeners are going to be aware. In some ways, that makes TUI more defensive. You know, it has more to offer and plenty of cross-selling opportunities. But getting capacity back up to, to full whack is a, is a much higher priority. The, um, the drains on cash when you have planes and huge hotels to fill are, are enormous. Um, TUI has said that hotels and resorts, that's the name of, of that, that main segment, um, delivered a third consecutive quarter of positive underlying operating profit since the start of the pandemic. Um, occupancies and average rates are expected to, and this is a quote from them, develop strongly through the second half. Now, this all sounds great, but we need proof of a solid summer trading period. TUI has also announced a capital raise of up to 162.3 million shares, which works out at around 10% of the group's share capital or about um, £400 million um, as of the value before this announcement was made. And that's as it looks to reduce debt and government funding. Now, again, this is a step in the right direction, in my view, but there is still an inherent liquidity risk which won't be extinguished until operations are back up and running at full speed, unfortunately. EasyJet has also been grabbing the headlines, hasn't it? Yes, as you've said, another name facing the wrath of some very angry customers with mass cancellations is EasyJet. The crux of the issue is that the group can't meet the surges in demand after cutting back its workforce so drastically during the pandemic. Now, obviously, this isn't a good look. It does point to a positive, and that is that the EasyJet has seen demand rebound strongly. I mean, half-year pre-tax losses were £545 million compared to £701 million in the same period last year. Now, that was at the better end of expectations and reflects an increase in revenue from £240 million to £1.5 billion. So that's obviously, you know, good news there. And capacity as well. And another interesting stat here, capacity was 30.3 million seats, up significantly on 6.4 million last year. Um, as a broader point, I'd also say that a focus on short-haul travel puts EasyJet in a better position than its long-haul rivals when it comes to capturing returning passengers. UK beach and leisure routes look set to benefit from pent-up travel demand in the aftermath of, of Omicron, and that is showing. Um, there's also an argument that the cost of living crisis isn't having as much of an effect as feared. You know, the importance of holidays is so much greater this year. And I know that personally, I'm desperate. I'm going away in two weeks and cannot wait. Um, but a full blown recession would see holidays put on the non-priority list. So that is something to, to keep in mind. 
all in, things are looking up for EasyJet, um, especially because of its focus on profitable Western European routes within major airports. And that's an approach that sets EasyJet apart from other low-cost carriers who kind of trim costs by flying in and out of smaller, less convenient airports. Um, And last we heard back in mid-May, EasyJet planned to fly 90% of pre-pandemic capacity in the current quarter, which is testament to that strategy. Now, its ability to meet this target rests on how fast the group can ramp up its operations back to where they need to be. I'm cautiously optimistic, but that probably means I've jinxed it now. And what about the owner of British Airways, IAG? What's it looking like? So, yes, poor IAG, which, as you've just mentioned, owns British Airways, I have sympathy because now is such a hard time to be a long-haul carrier. Um, I think I've talked about IAG before, so I won't go on for too long here. Operationally, IAG's current airport chaos stems from the same reasons as everybody else. Um, The real kicker is that IAG is looking at a longer road to recovery in all likelihood. Um, It will be a while before business class cabins to Chicago are filling up compared to, say, a short hop to the likes of Paris. So really the story is the same. A lot is resting on the crucial summer season for IAG. I'd argue that British Airways' strong brand gives the group some real firepower, but there is work to be done. We'd previously heard IAG plans to be profitable in this current quarter, so long as there wasn't further disruption. That was the wording. So we'll find out soon how much damage these cancellations have caused. The group had tried hard to avoid this scenario by holding back on capacity expansion following previous disruption. As a bit of context for where IAG is, IAG reported an underlying operating loss of 754 million euros in the first quarter. Um, Now, that is an improvement, though, on last year's negative 1.1 billion euros. Definitely one to monitor. Thanks, Sophie. Some really mixed fortunes for the industry. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to these companies over the coming months. Just a reminder before we move on that it's the quiz coming up later and I've got a teaser for you just to mull over over the next uh, few minutes. Now, back in the 1980s, American Airlines famously saved tens of thousands of dollars a year by getting rid of a single item in their airline food. What was it? Answers coming up later. Oh, I've got my thinking cap on already. But now I'm going to bring in Emma Wall, our Head of Investment Research and Analysis here at Hargreaves Lansdowne. She's been talking to Peter Meany, Head of Global Listed Infrastructure at First Centia Investors. Hi, Peter. Hi, Emma. Thanks very much for joining us from Down Under. Appreciate you taking the time despite the time difference. We're talking about travel and in particular about the mess in the moment in Europe within the airline industry. Now, you run an infrastructure fund and and have airport holdings. How are you analysing the current disruption within the industry? Yeah, I guess with airports, you you really need to take um, both a long-term perspective and be aware of the short-term. The long-term case for airport investments is is very positive. Um, you know, there's been structural uh, growth in, in passenger volumes, you know, typically two times uh, GDP or uh, economic growth uh, over the long term. Um, the structure of airports in terms of uh, the way that they make money, um, typically around about half of the airport uh, earns a regulated return on the runways and terminals, like the, the air side of the operations. So that can be a a steady return through the cycle. And then the other half, uh, you know, things like uh, hotels, uh, duty-free shopping, um, you know, logistics, parks, cargo around the airport 
can earn exceptional returns in, in the right regulatory environment. Uh, so we really like airports as an asset class. But in the short term, there's no doubt that event risks uh, such as September 11 and SARS and COVID you know, can create a lot of volatility in the short term. So it's a matter of balancing those two um, you know, uh, impacts. And of course, COVID created significantly less demand. What we've got now as an issue is too high demand for supply, staffing issues. Um, we've had, you know, over the last couple of weeks in, in the UK and across Europe, flights being grounded, delayed, cancelled in, entirely. How, how do you sort of look through that? Because that obviously will have an impact on the airports themselves. Is this is this just transient? Do you expect this to improve? Do you remain focused on the kind of long-term attributes, as, as you just previously mentioned? Yeah, we're certainly focused on the long-term. And I, I think when we're making investments, we'll, we'll typically look for a, a three- to five-year investment horizon. Uh, but there's certainly you know stocks that we've owned for the, the full 15 years that our uh, strategies have been running in listed infrastructure. Uh, but you know, I think as an active manager, there's opportunities here uh, to you know take advantage of that volatility. I think back to you know March and April of uh, 2000 when uh, COVID first struck. You know, this was an unprecedented impact on airports where volumes you know went to zero. It was not something we'd seen since you know World War Two, and um, you know that was very unsettling for a number of stocks, airport stocks around the world. Thankfully, uh, going into that crisis, you know, airports was our biggest underweight position in the portfolio. So it gave us an opportunity uh, to take some profits on things like utilities and wireless towers that had done very well and recycle that into some stocks like um, Auckland Airport in New Zealand, uh, AENA, the, the Spanish airports were able to pick up some high-quality airports at, at very depressed uh, levels. We've now seen a very strong recovery in, in some of those airports, and I think in recent months the market had probably got a little bit too optimistic uh, at the pace of recovery. And, uh, yeah, we could see uh, some growing pains. I, I myself was uh, travelling around Europe for two weeks uh, just a few weeks ago and observed, you know, through Dublin Airport... Um, you know, Paris, Frankfurt, Zurich, you know, there, there's definitely some uh, capacity constraints that are, that are coming through. And then looking forward into next year, you, you know, you started our, our, our chat by talking about the growth that you can typically expect in airports, though nothing is guaranteed, is, is linked to economic growth. Now, the economic forecast for 2023 doesn't look too bright. How are you playing those figures into your sort of forecasting of returns, given that we are expecting or many people are expecting to see a pullback in economic growth, even in a recession across large parts of, of the globe next year? Yeah, we probably need to break the airport uh, drivers in into a few key areas uh, to think about this. I think the first one is um, we've been sceptical uh, through this COVID period on the degree to which long-haul you know, intercontinental business travel would return. There's no doubt that video conferencing, uh, podcasts, uh, whatever it might be, are now much more effective. The technology is much more effective than it's been in the past. And I think it's now more accepted uh, to communicate 
uh, with customers, um, you know, around the world uh, virtually. Now, I still think it'll be important to do face-to-face meetings and, and uh, we're definitely getting out on the road again. But our expectation broadly is that uh, we'll only get back to about 80% of 2019 levels for that long-haul you know, business-type traffic. Uh, the second thing to think about is, is leisure um, and visiting friends and relatives. Our view there is that there's a, a massive pent-up demand uh, for both of those things. Uh, people definitely want to go on holidays again and perhaps perhaps experience the sun, particularly if you've been in the UK uh, through a lockdown. And um, they want to visit their family and friends that perhaps they haven't seen for three or four or even five years, um, just because of the timing and and extent of COVID. So we are seeing a strong recovery in that part of the market. Um, AENA, the Spanish airports, for example, announced that they were back to 90% of uh, 2019 levels uh, in the month of May. And uh, we think there's good signs for a full recovery, if not an overshooting uh, of demand. Uh, The Mexican airports, uh, like Cancun, uh, with US travellers back out and and about, uh, they're up to about 120% of 2019 levels uh, because of that very strong uh, leisure travel. The third one quickly uh, to think about is the Chinese traveller And maybe I could put in there the Russian traveller as well. Why this is important is that if we look at some of the structural growth that occurred uh, in the sort of 10 or 15 years prior to COVID, uh, the Chinese passenger was a very strong driver of that growth. Uh, Depending on the airport around the world and its location, somewhere between 25 and 50% of the growth was driven by Chinese passengers, that middle class discovering the world. Uh, They're also very high spenders. Uh, Chinese passengers spend about five times an average passenger. So the return of those passengers will be very important. Finally, Peter, how do you think about ESG as an investor within um, the leisure sector? You know, thinking about um, airlines in particular and their sort of carbon emissions, but airports too as a facilitator of, of airlines, how do you factor that into your decision making? And indeed, what pressures is that putting on you as an asset ho- holder f- from from clients? Yeah, no, it's a very important question. Uh, and, and airports, you know, do have some real challenges uh, on ESG. Um, some, some obvious areas uh, on environmental is the uh, carbon emissions from uh, jet fuel and, and aviation. Uh, you know the takeoff in particular of a of an aircraft you know consumes a, an enormous amount of energy uh, and uh, in, in turn carbon uh, now there are a lot of efforts being made particularly by the airlines to uh, and and uh, uh, aircraft manufacturers uh, to improve the efficiency uh, and they've made you know significant ground over a number of decades and there's plenty more to do uh, from an airport perspective uh, specifically, what they can be doing, first of all, is reducing their own emissions. Uh, so uh, solar uh, panels on the roof of airports to provide their own electricity needs, uh, developing sustainable aviation fuel uh, uh, storage tanks that the, the airlines can move uh, use in the future, 
immediately that will be a blending of fuels, but you know, perhaps long term uh, we'll get uh, you know, aircraft that can work wholly on, on sustainable aviation fuel. On the social side, uh, it's about noise issues would be a, a critical one, and you know, Heathrow has, has certainly been challenged uh, by that key issue. Uh, so it's about working with communities uh, to, I guess, fa- find a sensible middle ground. Um, we want airports to be able to grow and, and offer you know, new destinations and new services, um, but there has to be a, a limit to the impact that they can have on um, you know, their surrounding communities. On governance, you know, I think it, what's critical is a lot of uh, airport uh, stocks that are listed around the world, uh, particularly in Europe, still do have a significant level of government ownership. Um, you know, Paris, uh, even Aena and Zurich, for example, um, you know, governments will hold about 50% uh, of those uh, airport assets. So we, as minority investors, have to think very uh, clearly about uh, whether our interests are aligned uh, with um, you know, the d- direction that those companies are taking. Peter, thank you very much. Thank you. Emma Waller, Head of Investment Research and Analysis at Hargreaves Lansdowne, talking to Peter Meany, Head of Global Listed Infrastructure at First Sentia Investors on the 10th of June 2022. Now, please bear in mind that these are the views of the fund manager and are not individual stock recommendations. You're listening to Switch Your Money On from Hargreaves Lansdowne. And finally, it's time for the quiz. And Susanna tells me she's been exploring some of the stranger facts about flying. It, you know, it's actually been so long since I've been on a plane. You could probably catch me out by just asking something simple like, I don't know, like whether your carry-on luggage is bigger or smaller than a loaf of bread nowadays. I'm sure in some cases it's smaller than a bread roll, but don't worry, we'll steer clear of luggage allowances. Let's stick with food. In the 1980s, American Airlines famously saved tens of thousands of dollars a year by getting rid of a single item in their airline food. I trailed this earlier, Sarah, so you've had plenty of time to think about it. Was it a single olive, a strawberry or a bread roll? (laughs) I've actually heard of this one because it was such a massive saving from such a small change. I actually think it was the olive. Yes, it's become a bit of a poster fruit for cutting the costs that people don't notice. OK, let's stick with airline food now. And generally, this type of food is considered to be pretty grim. But that's partly because our taste buds are suppressed at 30,000 feet. So we taste things like sugar and salt less strongly. Now, as a result, airline food is really pumped full of both. In fact, around 20 to 30% more of both. But on a typical long-haul flight, just how many calories do you think you'll be served? Is it around 1,500, 2,500 or 3,500? Oh, blimey. Well, I can't imagine it's 3,500. I think even my teenage son would draw the line at getting through that many calories in that period of time. I mean, it feels like 2,500 is too much as well, but I'm just, I'll take a risk. I'll go down that one. I'll, I'll pick 2,500 calories. I'm sorry, no. It's an incredible three and a half thousand. That has to be a really horrible statistic for anyone who flies regularly. You've really got to increase the size of the seatbelt. Okay, I think we might have had enough of airline food. I'm afraid this one is slightly darker, quite literally. Do you know why they dim the lights on a plane for takeoff during the evening and night? Is it to encourage you to sleep, to get you used to the dark, 
Or is it so the pilots aren't distracted by the light pollution? <laughs> I, I do love the idea of pilots getting really grumpy about light pollution. It's like when my kids switch the lights on in the back of the car at night without warning me. But I don't think it's that. I, oh, gosh, I have no idea. Um, I'll say it's to help you get to sleep. No, sorry. It's actually to get you used to the dark in case of an emergency. So if the plane loses power and lands, they want your eyes to be more accustomed so you're not trying to find the exits in darkness. It's actually why they want to check to see that the blinds are all open too. OK, let's get back to something lighter now. So back in 2017, City Airport revealed the items that were most likely to be confiscated from hand luggage. Top of the list was snow globes, believe it or not, which is odd enough. But which foodstuff was most likely to be removed? Was it jam, pickles and chutneys or marmite? Oh, blimey. Well, I can't think of any destination you'd end up in where jam was unavailable. So it can't be that. And I suppose if you love a particular brand of pickle, you might panic if you have to go a week without it. But no, I think it, surely it must be marmite. If you love it, you couldn't possibly spend your holiday without it. Very true. I certainly couldn't. Well, maybe I could for a, for a week or two, but I'm afraid you're wrong. It was jam, although the others did feature in the top ten, along with toiletries, olive oil and Nutella. It's so odd, isn't it? What we feel that we can't live without on holiday, although it does, of course, explain all the things I was trying to cram into the car last week. I think, actually, we did have a pot of each at some point over the journey. I'm actually attempting a trip this summer with, with only hand luggage and it's really, it's only just occurred to me that I won't be able to pack the Nutella. It sounds like grounds for cancelling the trip entirely, Sarah. Well, that's all from us for this time. But before we go, we do need to remind you that this was recorded on the 13th of June, 2022 and all information was correct at the time of recording. Nothing in this podcast is personal advice. You should seek advice if you're not sure what's right for you. Investments rise and fall in value so you could get back less than you invest and past performance isn't a guide to the future. Yes, this is not advice or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any investment. No view is given on the present or future value or price of any investment and investors should form their own view on any proposed investment. And this hasn't been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research and is considered a marketing communication. Non-independent research is not subject to FCA rules prohibiting dealing ahead of research. However, HL has put controls in place, including dealing restrictions, physical and information barriers, to manage potential conflicts of interest presented by such dealing. You can see our full non-independent research disclosure on our website for more information. So all that's left is for me to thank our guests, Oliver, Peter, Sophie, Emma, and our producer, Elizabeth Hodson. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again soon. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please do let us know what you think. And do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you get a fresh new episode in your inbox as soon as it's ready. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>